One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we are debating the very... I'm not... <laughs> I saw you do that at the corner of my eye and thought he's not going to actually do that. Is he? Right, that, that's the, that's, that's right. the last Christmas. Christmas uh, blooper. Christmas joke. You should have been recording it. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we are debating the very future of the beautiful game as a court rules that UEFA cannot block the creation of new competitions. So, is the European Super League back on the agenda? We'll also be discussing Nottingham Forest, Kieran Trippier, Aston Villa and looking ahead to what we'd like to see in 2024. And joining me, Tom Clark, today we have the Chief Correspondent for The Times and Sunday Times, Martin Samuel, the Football Correspondent for The Sunday Times, Jonathan Northcroft, and a former footballer whose last match on Boxing Day was a thriller in 2014 in which his Northampton team had a certain Ivan Tony sent off and lost 3-2 to Berry. Gregor Robertson will be hoping for a more enjoyable Christmas this year. Well, chaps, let's get straight into it with the news that is breaking on this Thursday morning as we were preparing for this podcast. And as Tom Ornett reports on the Times website now, UEFA's hopes of killing off the European Super League project were dealt a massive blow after a court ruling said the governing body had no legal right to block the creation of new competitions. UEFA threatened to impose sanctions on any clubs and players that joined the European Super League after it was launched in April 2021, but the European Court of Justice has said that FIFA and UEFA's rules requiring their approval for new football competitions are contrary to EU law. The ruling is binding and not subject to appeal. Um, now, responding to the verdict on Twitter, Chief Executive of the A2022, uh, 22, sorry, uh, is one of the backers of the Super League, Bern Reichardt, wrote that the e- European Super League have won the right to exist. He added that UEFA's monopoly is over, football is free, clubs are now free from the threat of sanctions and free to determine their own future. Um, I'm just going to add one more bit from the actual statement itself, which I think is important. Um, in the statement, they say that there is no framework for FIFA and UEFA rules ensuring that they are transparent, objective, non-discriminatory and proportionate. Um, the, they say that the, the previous sanctions prohibiting clubs and players from playing in any new competitions were unlawful. However, they also add that that does not mean that a competition such as the Super League project must necessarily be approved. So then, is the game gone, Martin? Is it all up? Um, oh, look. Uh, the thing is, just because the competition exists doesn't mean you have to compete in it. So it's still down to the individual clubs to um, decide whether or not a closed shop European Super League um, is something that they would entertain or their fans would be interested in them joining. Um, as far as who you want to win on this, I'm sort of with... It's the W.C. Fields argument that in the event of war, 
the leaders of the respective warring nations should be made to fight it out with socks full of manure. <laughs> and um, I would very much be in, in, in favour of that, um, or indeed the, uh, the single-stick duel, as uh, depicted by uh, Goya in, uh, in the art galleries of uh, Madrid, in which two people are buried up to their knees in mud, given a club each, and just left to beat each other to uh, to death with it, and and that you know, either Merry image, Christmas. either <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody, uh, either image, um, you know, depending on how uh, crude or intellectual you're feeling uh, this morning, it it's just thoroughly depressing because all it is about is uh, rich football clubs trying to get richer. All it is about is football trying to become less competitive. Uh, than it was before. Uh, it's everything that really I can't stand. And um, to even feel as if you've got a dog in this fight somehow feels wrong because mm. on, on both sides are these systems that just continue making the rich clubs rich. You've only got to see what's going to happen to the Club World Cup uh, where they're talking about all of the entrants getting £50 million potentially each and no one gives a thought to what 50 million pounds does to the domestic league in New Zealand if you give 50 million pounds to Auckland City hmm. in, a, in, a, in a league that small that's the end of the league that just kills the domestic league in that country and no one gives any thought to this all they want is money 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 so it's it's a legal ruling uh, it's a depressing ruling but the whole thing is sort of depressing, really. Mm. Johnny, your reaction to, well, both the news, but also Martin's analysis? Yeah, Ma- Martin's analysis is uh, hard to beat, actually, but mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't give you sticks. Or, um, <laughs> <laughs> although, uh, Bernd Reinhardt, is, is that the guy Reinhardt, from the yeah. 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 I mean, just reading that fascinates me, because I, I do wonder, I mean, is this guy, has he got offices that have suddenly cranked into, into action this morning, mm. or is he just sitting in his bedroom because he's mm-hmm. the chief exec of something that doesn't exist yet? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But look, I think, I think what, what Martin correctly encapsulates is that this can't exist unless people want it to exist, mm. essentially. So in some ways, this ruling isn't a great surprise. There's always been a, a contradiction between the UEFA, UEFA's position as the lawmaker, but then also the people who run the competition. And, and I've heard from Premier League clubs for a long time, um, and this isn't in the context of, of the Super League, just as a general point that this is wrong. How can you how can you make the laws, but then also you know, profit from the competition that the laws apply to? So I think that's what the, the rule, the, 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 the judgment may be challenging. Um, what it does mean is that the... Um, A22 clubs will try and come back with something. I think we always expected that all along. Um, it's important to remember that Super League didn't didn't fail because UEFA ruled against it. Mm. Super League failed because the public ruled against it and the Premier League clubs pulled out and Bayern Munich and PSG probably preempted more cleverly than the Premier League clubs which way the wind was blowing and, and didn't join in the first place and then it slowly died to death. But didn't it wasn't UEFA that blocked it in the first place. So I've always been sceptical about the fact that UEFA can stop it anyway. I don't think they decide on this. As I say, I think it's it's a public, it's a fans who decide and that therefore 
that'll depend. You know, the clubs will take notice of that. Um, what I'd expect is the um, Super League to try and come back, but this time with meritocracy thrown in, meritocracy of a, of, of a sort. Um, because the big mistake Super League made was trying to launch with with a closed shop, and that's the thing that everyone reacted against. Um, if they'd if they tried to launch, but with some form of meritocracy, I think there'd have been a, a slightly different reaction. Um, I think we know the self interest of fans, and the thought that their club could get immeasurably richer as long as it you know it it, it was there was. I think I think meritocracy is something everyone upholds as 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 valuable, but a kind of compromise, which is what the Champions League has always been and, mm. and the expanded Champions League is going to be, may have worked. And it's interesting looking at UEFA's statement this morning, where they, I mean, they basically say we expected this ruling. It doesn't mean that we're not still in charge, but it was the last paragraph I found fascinating, which it talks about how UEFA want to uphold the irreplaceable model. Mm. Of football, but their irreplaceable model is solidarity. Not meri- that in the statement, it's not meritocracy. They've just mentioned solidarity, which means obviously filtering the money downwards. But there's nothing in the statement about um, about meritocracy because, as we know, as as, as we've talked about before, they're, they're quite keen to introduce some kind of um, what do they call it again, Mark. It's not legacy. It's um, the, oh yeah, yeah, when they, yeah. When yeah, yeah, yeah. Historic, historical places, legacy yeah, places. They quite like that. You know, that been, was the original proposal. Was yeah. Historical back places, upon, and legacy yeah. places. I think that's been rolled back upon. It's been rolled back, but but UEFA like it as a concept because everyone goes nuts about it um, every time it happens. It means you get rewarded for something that mm. uh, that happened 20, mm. 30 years ago. And what people like about football, I think, mm. is you get rewarded for what happened last season. Mm. And, you know, you're only as good as your last game. You're only as good as the last season. Yeah. You're not good because yeah. something happened 30 years ago that yeah. that, 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 get, that gave you six European Cups or whatever. I, um, I, 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 th- I think this comes down... Uh, the bottom line in all of this, and always has been, is do the Premier League clubs join it or not? Mm. It, can't, it can't fly without the Premier League clubs. The Premier League clubs have got the most to lose as well because... They're already in the best competition in the world, which is killing all the other competitions. I've never seen, just from just from the core business terms, I've never really seen why they would go and try and enrich some of their European rivals while diluting the competition that they're already in. That's that's, that's so so good because they're not as bright as they think. Because they think more short term, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they're not as bright as they think. They think they're smart, Mm. but they're not smart. Martin, do you agree with Johnny's point that a kind of a Super League two with a slightly kind of Mended approach might actually fly with with fans as well as with um, clubs. I think it depends how big the meritocratic um, part of it mm-hmm. is. Do you not, John? That that that, yeah. that if it's only a, a lip service to it, I'm not sure people will will buy into it. You know, if it, it you know, I, I think it's got to be something that makes the Leicester dream possible. That makes the Aston Villa. Uh, dream that is unfolding at the moment, shall we say, possible that makes it possible that Newcastle can come in from outside. If you are putting obstacles in the way of that, if, for instance, unless you've got enough ranking points, coefficient points, legacy points, however clearly you, you want to define them, if Aston Villa could come second, say, 
and not end up in the in the main competition next season. If they could just be then, oh well, you do, you know, it's for champions and these select clubs only, then I don't think that will fly. Mm. Mm. I, I really don't think that will fly with the fans. Uh, you know, I, I think they want to. I think people want the dream that your team. You know, in the old days, it was that your team win the league and, and qualify for the European Cup. Now it is that your team come in the top four. So unless a top four place continues to be rewarded with a with a place in the in the main competition, I think there mm. would be a pushback against it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, maybe to- I'm over. No, I, I think you're right, Matt. But but I, th- I think there's ways that they might try and appease that or, or preempt mm. that pushback. And, and Tom Alnut and his um, Backgrounder yesterday was talking about an idea which involves eighty teams in a in a super league uh, in in div- divisions of four divisions of twenty or something like that, which of course then allows you to to the Aston Villas can join you know everyone yeah. can everyone can join but one suspects that the top league of that that competition would would have the familiar names in it but I think there's I think I just think there's a feeling that everything's in play you know we've got a new Champions League coming on board which I don't think anyone likes the look of really. Um, you don't understand it. You don't understand it, and no. it, and and it it, it it already that already goes against yeah. our instincts for what yeah. a competition should be. You should play home and away. Yeah, and, straight, and straight should... away, European competition has always been about home and away, and then suddenly, oh, well, we play Bar Munich away, but we don't play them at home, and we play PSG at home, but yeah, we never play them away. It's not what we've been brought up on mm. and we've been you know it's not like we've been brought up on this for two minutes we've been brought mm. up on this for 70 odd years now so, so I think I think there's a, a a weak Champions League coming in and the Club World Cups making its pitch to become a big competition and you know the time is ripe for, for the Super League clubs to, to go again because as I say everything seems to be up in the air at the moment and, and a new league order's ready to be established I think we're talking about two different things I think we're talking about reform of European competition which is in play and the Super League which I think is dead in the water because it's literally going to be enshrined in law soon in the UK that the independent regular has to approve independent regular has to approve uh, a club like any other new competition Mm -hmm. and there's obviously been new rules brought in by the Premier League too so Premier League clubs as things stand cannot join this cannot join Whatever this might thing be, is, yeah. might be, yeah. Ger- the, t- the idea of German clubs doing it is is fanciful too, because of the sort of structure and social, sort of political status of clubs in in Germany as well. So that's two big, very yeah. big leaks, right? So, yeah. and what do you just, make to Johnny's clubs challenge this? Though? I was just about to say, couldn't it be challenged in law the way that this was challenged in law? Yeah, potentially. I want to talk about the hmm. point Johnny made about the kind of power to the people type. Angle, which were you very much pushed when this story first broke the last time, Gregor, in terms of the power of the fans, and as was proved with the reaction and things, fans at Stamford Bridge and uh, Anfield and around the country. Do you think that ultimately that sense is still there? That's still the overriding sense of emotion within this country to to this feeling, that knee jerk reaction of kind of what Martin said of a unpleasant taste in the mouth, if you like, that whenever this story comes up, fans go, nah, not for us. Absolutely. I don't think anything's changed in that regard. It would take, you know, a lot of PR work and spin to change that. Um, and, and ultimately, the thing that we come back to is what Martin started with, is, is how sort of unpalatable it is to see UEFA and FIFA going at it like rats in a sack to control 
you know, not only European but world football and all the revenue that, that generates. And so the idea of also clubs almost sort of taking that rest and control of that for themselves and owners of clubs mm. who are all, you know, now rich, uh, you know, capitalist American <laughs> investors, mm. countries, in mm. fact, the idea of that is arguably more unpalatable. So s selling this in any way to fans in, in most countries in Europe, I think is a huge, huge stumbling block. And uh, currently I can't see how it's, it's overcome really. It was a hippie slogan in the 60s, um, about, uh, I think, which went, suppose they gave a war and nobody came. And that's where we are now. That's the strongest pushback against it. Suppose they put on a tournament and nobody came. Nobody turned out. Everyone just went, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. The complication you've got, fans have got, is to what extent their club has been wrested from their control mm -hmm. by the global marketplace because they could argue, well, does it matter if Old Trafford's full or not full if we suddenly move this game to New York or if we suddenly move this game to Jeddah or, or, or whatever. You know, this is the thing that, that, that once it's the, the, the global game... The person paying their money to go into their local football club and, and sit in their seat and or stand behind the goal or whatever they're doing and and watch their match is becoming increasingly marginalised. You know, attendance figures. You can't get an attendance figure anymore, not a real attendance figure because everyone goes on season tickets and, and this. So you're looking at a half-empty stadium and they're saying it's there's 50,000 people there and you're looking at, oh, there's no one there. Where, where are they? So the person going to the match, you, you've only got to see the, the whole VAR business and how increasingly insignificant these people are being made to feel. And... That is my only worry. I take, totally take mm. Gregor's point. And it is the best pushback possible is if the fans reject it. That's the best pushback possible. At the same time, you do wonder whether that conversation has already been had at various football clubs and A22 or whatever they're called. A22, isn't that down to... Is that Bexley or something? Oh, no, we're not getting into motor journeys but, again, please. But anyway, but um, at A22 or whatever, do you not think they've already had that conversation mm. and they've decided that as long as the money's right, then, you know, we can, we can afford to go the fans for two or three seasons maybe until they yeah. come round to our way of thinking. I, I don't know. It's, 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 it's all, I guess said, a bit dystopian that, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because when, you know, even when you talk about, like, I, I was thinking, reading the story in the tube on the way in and thinking, you know, let anyone who wants to do this go off and do it. Yeah. Because the Premier League is in a really strong position. It is. But then you start thinking, because also, fundamentally, this is always about, it's about greed. It's about growth. Eternal totally. lust for growth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And football doesn't need any more growth. Mm -hmm. It's big enough. Big There's enough money in the game. There's too much money yeah. in the game. Yeah. So when you when you come to that standpoint, you think, go on, do what you want, guys. But then you start to think, right, then maybe when they do that and you know everyone just is supplanted to Saudi Arabia or somewhere and then all the best players start to go over there. And you, you know, you, it starts to get a bit dystopian. Yeah. And then maybe you think, oh, the Premier League 
is no longer the, what the, the strongest force. So, you know, we do have to be on guard here. But I mean, that's a long way off. And I, as I say, I was sort of sort of <laughs> getting into yeah. some sort of going down a wormhole of thinking there. But yeah, the, but it's, you're, it's, you're it's right. possible. It that's probably what the vision is for yeah. a lot of the people involved in this. To to you know whatever they can do to 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 bring in the, the most revenue. And that's ultimately what they want to do. And, and I just come, I just come. If it is about greed, surely the logical thing for greedy Premier League clubs is to stick with the Premier League mm. and just just, let, just let everyone else wither, and then invite Real Madrid and Barcelona in if you want. To. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. uh, I, I've just not never seen the, the the rationale for propping up the the very clubs that you're competing with for players, for example. Well, but if, could a could a could a, uh, a Super League? Sorry. Compete with the Premier League eventually. Uh, yeah, of course it could. If the Premier League clubs are in it, if there's, the, if there's the backing of, say, Saudi Arabia, mm. and and as we've already seen players start to start to go somewhere because there's more money mm. on offer, you know, it's it's possible. It's like mm. it's possible that the two are there and might mm. even compete against each other. And by like the way, the backing of Saudi Arabia, Gregor, is, you know far from an outlandish idea because the other thing with this is where we're looking at UEFA and FIFA on one side and the Super League uh, on the other. FIFA are only on that side because they now feel their own position being threatened. At the start of the Super League, um, when it was first vaunted, the suggestion was that Infantino not only knew about it, but gave it the thumbs up because it would have neutered UEFA, which is, without a shadow of a doubt, one of FIFA's aims, um, probably neutered the power of the Premier League as well. Um, and FIFA are in favour of both of those things. And more money. And and <laughs> more money. And that almost as if the Super League and FIFA and that whole umbrella... Also, I'll, <laughs> there's so many different strands of this... I will point out, it's called the Super League. It's not called the European Super League. People mm. refer to it sometimes as the European Super League, but it was never called that. And I thought that was very interesting because right from the very start, they have left that door open that what we've got in the end is rollable. If you've ever seen the film Rollable, yeah. where they're playing <laughs> Tokyo one minute and Madrid the next and, and everything like that. That, that that's, you know, the, there is the door open for further down the line, if into Miami, uh, you know, are doing mm. well enough mm. that they could join, and then this one could join from here, and that one could join from there, and the Super League is the Super League, and it's a global Super League, not just a European Super League. It depends where they think the audience is. You know, Real Madrid don't think enough people are interested in football. I don't know how many people they think would be enough, but you mm. know, <laughs> um, but they don't think enough people are interested in football. And so the idea of globalising it even more. Yeah. Well, their argument, their argument is that this is the young generation, isn't it? That's the Real Madrid market research that yeah. that un, you know, people under the age of 25. Just want names, whatever. names, names. And, yeah, and, and they're, not, they're not that bothered about traditional competitions. I don't yeah. know. 
Yeah, um, look, who knows? I mean, we're, we're all old enough shot it. But, um, <laughs> Excuse me. Thank you very much. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> what we'll do you think, Tom? We'll have none of that. Absolutely yeah, not. Yeah. Well, I, we don't need to know what I think because there'll be plenty more time to debate this as the season continues, I'm sure. Uh, greedy suits versus the football fans. Maybe it's time that football had its Christmas carol moment uh, and a bit of a reckoning with itself. Um, let's talk about some actual football, shall we? And we're going to talk about some EFL Cup reaction Liverpool Fulham Middlesbrough and Chelsea all into the semi-finals but I wanted to talk about West Ham uh, Martin the life of a columnist can be a tricky one um, uh-huh. and you certainly um, you know give us our money's worth with all your wonderful words throughout the week <laughs> um, but it doesn't always That's go to plan scowling, as he says, doesn't <laughs> doesn't always go to plan does it on Monday you said that West Ham would be wrong to get rid of David Moyes um, yeah, uh, I wrote a thousand words on, on, on David Moyes very positively about yeah, West Ham and, and the whole debate. He's really got it. He's you know he's starting to really understand what it is to be West Ham manager. And uh, then he went into a match at Anfield, rested Lucas Pakatar and a number of others, and got thrashed five one. How do you feel about it? Yeah, well, no, it's very rare when you write a column that you you read such an eloquent and comprehensive rebuttal of everything you've written. Uh, within about two and a half days, but uh, one and a half days really. But that team sheet did it last night, certainly for me. Um, it was, it, mate. Uh, look, I'm, <laughs> I'm really sorry. I can't understand that. I cannot understand that. That is everything. When when you write a piece like that in, in favour of David Boys, and I know Johnny, this is very close to John's heart. Um, and he will come in, I realise. But but when you write something like that, folks, you know, you'll get people, West Ham fans, and everyone say he's too negative, he's this, he hasn't got the ambition, he doesn't get it, he doesn't this. Oh well, no, 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 it's not like that. And then you see the team, you think, oh Dave, give me a break, would you, mate? Just just give me a you know, just a week, basically, um, when people can't just go see, told you so. Um, no, I was extraordinarily puzzled. Um, on Tuesday night, uh, three teams got into the um, semi-final of the Carabao Cup. Fulham, Middlesbrough and the worst 12 Chelsea team in 25 years. If ever there was a moment when you could look at that as West Ham manager and go, we're, we're three games away from a trophy here. You know, All we, we've got to do is beat Liverpool. We, we, we're, we're Liverpool away, but you know Liverpool are going to rest players because they have got Arsenal and they're trying to win the league. On, on you know on Sunday you know they're going to rest players West Ham are playing Manchester United at 12.30 I completely get that if West Ham had put their first team out last night if they'd have won or even come very close and then got beat by Manchester United on Saturday I think most almost all reasonable fans would have understood would have understood that they were going for it they were going for the Carabao Cup but I think I've always thought that what the half-strength team does is, is two things. One of them is, um, well, you've got a half-strength team. The second is the first-team players that are in there, you've sort of shown them what your priority is, which is Manchester United on Saturday. So their priority suddenly becomes, make sure I'm about for Manchester United on Saturday. So you get that l- sort of limp weak performance which is what West Ham turned in last night and I was really disappointed because I did think it would be different I, I did think that you know it's a season when West Ham aren't going to go down you've, you've got a chance there mm. you've really got a chance there West Ham haven't West Ham won a trophy last year a European trophy absolutely sensational they haven't won they've never won the League Cup 
They haven't won a domestic trophy since 1980. This was a good chance. This was a good chance. Johnny, case for the defence. <laughs> Is there any? It might not necessarily no, be no, a case no. for defence, actually. There's not, there's not a great case for the defence, to be honest. Um, and actually, I think... I think, Martin, your column was pretty accurate about David, and it still is, because I think what you explained in it was that um, what you've got is a very competent and pragmatic um, and successful, in those terms, manager. Mm. And, and you've got a fan base who who crave a bit of romance and, and fun. Yeah. And, and those two worlds are sometimes going to collide, and I felt they did last night. I can in, entirely understand the rational, pragmatic football manager argument for resting and he only, only rested three players really Zuma but they were, really but they were Pakita, and Pakita's the one yeah. above all He's else above that, all that, else. that fans want to see and had such a great game at the weekend mm. but this is a club that's been competing every Thursday night for two seasons now mm. competing very successfully and it doesn't have the biggest squad and there's a there's a tough programme and a tough Saturday mm. game coming up so there are all of those practical considerations and David Moyes will always do the rational, practical thing. He's not hes not a gambler. He's not a romantic, um, you know, caution to the wind type of person. We know that. Um, and last night, he, 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 he played to type. And, and I can imagine how that must have felt as a West Ham fan. Mm. It, 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 8,000 up there. There's the 8,000 yeah. up there as well where you think, yeah. tell us. Just tell us yeah. before we buy the ticket, say we're not going to, yeah. you mm. know... We're not bothering with this, so why, you know, I wouldn't if I was yeah. you either. It's, 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 it's one of those things, too, that it's like it's been cited as, you know, part of the excellent start to the season they've had. You yeah. see, you know, we're, we're eighth in the league, we've qualified for the third consecutive season for European football after Christmas, we're in the quarterfinals of the Carabao yeah, Cup Carabao against Cup. Liverpool, yeah. and then you play that, you play that team. Like, it was. Yeah, you understand all the reasoning, but we were, Martin and I were talking about it before. The, the fact that this year they are in such a strong league position, they're not fighting a relegation battle. Then under, that's understandable. Then because, like, ultimately, you might not like it, but ultimately, that you know, Premier League securing Premier League status is always the number one priority. <laughs> but that's not an issue this year. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I completely agree that if, you know this was a chance to to win a trophy. Not much defence for David Moyes then, but speaking of defence and defenders, Kieran Trippier, I wanted to talk about him. It's been a remarkable run of performances, really, for Newcastle's star player in many ways <laughs> since their kind of upturn in fortunes. Um, Gregor, is there any explanation for this? I mean, is the, is this just a dip in form? Someone, I mean, it, someone who's had a lot of stinkers. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Because this is a bit, it feels a bit more than a dip in form. You know, the errors are quite glaring and also look like a player who, who I don't know, is tired, is a bit distracted. I'm not quite sure. But it's 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 hurting Newcastle in a big way, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a remarkable kind of uh, change in fortunes because he was Newcastle's best player for the first, I don't know, 14 games of the season or something. Um, and now he's he, he just can't seem to do anything right. And it's like... Sometimes it's kind of just a, a cumulative effect. I think once you make some mistakes, you've, your confidence takes a blow. You're just slightly inhibited. You're not playing in quite the same sort of with the same freedom, which you know is, is a big part of his game. Um, and sometimes just things don't go right for you. I just it's hard to say. I think even the best players, like even someone who's as resolute and 
and mentally sort of strong as you would think that Kieran Trippy is, confidence is an issue. Like mm. if he if he take a, takes a knock and you get into a rut, then sometimes it's very difficult to get out of. With the big runner games coming up at this kind of time of year, when, if you if you are struggling, it, you know, at any level, I know you always make jokes. Well, I'm not Kieran Trippy, and I know that. But do you do you want to keep playing to get a good performance under your belt? You don't actually want to hide, do you? You no. don't want to not play. No, absolutely. That makes it worse. You've got to you got to put yourself back in the in the kind of fire line. We had this discussion about Harry Maguire, you know, not so long ago, mm. saying that you know he's really. I kind of I think I said he's not. I'm not sure he is really someone who's mentally strong. But what he is is someone who is willing to always put himself in a difficult mm. situation, and that's that's ultimately what you have to do. You've just got to you've got to be willing to put yourself back in the sort of line of fire, as you know, as it were, um, and. Just work your way through it and and get back out the other side. That's that's ultimately these these moments come along in, in football all the time, even for the best players. Martin Kieran Trippier, who I think is yeah you know, on his game, possibly the best right back in the country. I mean, uh, Kyle Walker, uh, notwithstanding, Kyle Walker has other qualities as uh, as well. But I think Kieran Trippier has got one quality, certainly that I think he's he's better than anyone else. I think he's the best first time crosser of the ball in the country and I think mm. doing that for England when he was in, in, in the England team regularly that really did change the way England play and the way that Beckham uh, changed the way Beckham used to hit uh, his crosses exceptionally early from high up the field he didn't really have the pace to get to the byline all the time so Beckham's great genius was that he, he hit first-time crosses, but he hit them from deep and that took everyone by surprise and people weren't set up and, and the striker knew to look for it. Kieran Trippier doesn't take a touch when he when he puts the ball in a lot of the time. It's first-time hit and, and very, very accurate and really in a dangerous position. I love Kieran Trippier. He's playing like a drain at the moment. I mean, the, the last three or four games. I, I said earlier, I don't think he's quite been the same since that confrontation with the fans after they got beat mm. um, at Bournemouth I don't know if that's a thing you know that's that's absolute amateur psychiatry but um, he hasn't looked quite the same since then I think uh, 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 in the week I, I just think the mistake that he made um, <laughs> it was one it, it was one he wasn't expecting Mudrick to be where he was usually you know that that sort of header might have actually he might have been challenged more and that header just gets it into a dead space and someone else clears it and instead Mudrick is is, is short of that space basically so just mm. runs straight onto it it's uncertainty he's, he's yeah. actually he's actually someone who so often you see chesting the ball back to his goalkeeper yeah. or doing something he's mm. like oh crikey that was calm that was cool yeah. Yeah. and he just sees that that sort of element of uncertainty in his mind mm. he just didn't mm. he w- didn't commit to doing one thing or no. the other no. and that was the result I, I, I just think we've, we've been sort of talking about it really about how everyone's getting rinsed by this this greed this desire for more games more money and mm. football's are human beings and I think it's a it's a it's a perfect storm with, with Kieran mm. Trippier There's a, this, that was his 91st game since the start of last season you know, he's he's, Jeez, he's, oh, he's, he's he's played a lot of matches. He's 33. Matches. He's playing in the most dynamic position in, in, in football. Fullback, you know, he's trying to he's, he's trying to do all that. He's for a, a team that, for, that, that is Uber absolutely yeah. 
uber dynamic. Yeah, and, and and he's a captain, as we saw at Bournemouth. He, he he's he got not one just of those last night. Cost me a fortune. <laughs> 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 Did you? Anyway, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> the more expensive ones. Yeah, I, I was yeah, ignoring yeah, them. Yeah. 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 Um, sure no, but I mean, he, and, and and he's when he goes on the pitch, he he he, he takes on more than just his own game. He takes on um, the responsibility of the armband and 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 his club. And and, and Eddie House talked a lot about how much he does culturally at Newcastle and so there's a lot on his shoulders and I, I, I looked it up before we came on I, I, he, he's got three young kids he's got a, he's got an 18 month old baby at home um, well yeah exactly <laughs> these people they're human beings and and it just looks like he's mentally tired as Greg has said it, that, that you could see the uncertainty you could see his face he just looked yeah. drained didn't he That's and it. he looked mm. oh no and, and the penalty was oh. very on trippier like because yeah 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 I was kind of watching he, it. He just to get it, o- it was horrendous, hand, wasn't know? it? He just wanted to get it over with. Yeah. yeah. And almost like get get out of the stadium. Well, you um, talk about him being tired. It's not going to get any easier, I imagine, for Kieran Trippi. He's got matches against Luton on the 23rd of December and uh, a tough game against Nottingham Forest, potentially on uh, Boxing Day. Uh, see if they're rejuvenated by a new manager, which we'll be discussing in the next part of the show. Uh, we've only got one more show this year after today, and that'll be on Wednesday, the 27th of December. In it, we'll be talking about the latest action, but also having a a bit of a review of the year discussing our favourite moments matches players and goals so if you've got a nomination or contender please get in touch with me tom.clark at thetimes.co.uk stick with us as I say next we'll be talking about Nottingham Forest but also what we'd like to see in 2024 One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Tom Clark and today I'm joined by Johnny Northcroft, Martin Samuel and Gregor Robertson. And Gregor, we're going to go to Nottingham Forest, your former club. It's finally happened. Steve Cooper is out of a job. We've been talking about it for a long, long time. Uh, He has left the club sacked and replaced by Nuno Espirito Santo. What do you make of it? Sad times. Lots of Nottingham Forest fans. Quite striking, really, wasn't it? All the Mm. clips of fans outside the ground. It was big big, big death in the family stuff, wasn't it? Well, you've got to remember how kind of 23 years for a, for a club of Nottingham Forest size outside the top mm. flight was painful. You know, I, I was part of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so 
the man who got them back, uh, and in remarkable fashion too. Obviously, the, what he inherited, I think, you know, bottom of the table after seven games or something. Um, to 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 take them up through the playoffs, it was it was it was a a huge moment, cathartic moment for them. So, and then there's the sort of realization that you know, as I said the other week, that there's just never been any any sort of feeling that there's any synergy between the club under this ownership. Uh, Evangelos Maranakis and Steve Cooper as a person you know he's kind of very calm and measured and, and uh, you know, as I said the other day like a process driven coach and someone who's who the players love uh, that's the one thing I, I I think will be interesting now because despite there's been some you know there's been the odd rumbling recently about you know discontent I think a couple of players were banished for the Joe Worrell yep. mm-hmm. and uh, McKenna for different reasons um, and obviously uh, there's another influx of players and you know, but, but there, he's always managed to generate real goodwill and um, you know a buy-in from the from the players so considering what they've all been through even if, even if some of them haven't been there that long but considering that they've all been through that together in, in the Premier League it'll be interesting for any man to come in and sort of and, and engage them Martin, um, on that idea that Greg is there, that you know, as much as fans can be very upset because of what he did and the, the achievements he made, they have also been struggling recently for form and mm-hmm. you know had some bad results. It, could this be a case of one of those where it can be sad that he's leaving, but it is also right that he was sacked? Well, I, I never like to, you know, always oh, be sacked this manager or sacked this manager. I, I very, very rarely, you know, I'll be critical of managers, but I very rarely call for anyone to be sacked um, because. You don't know everything that, that that's going on. You don't know what restrictions or, or, or whatever. All I would say with Nottingham Forest is, as much as Steve Cooper uh, got them up and did fabulously well, the guy who owns the club, you know, has also got them up and done well and has spent his money. And I disagree with that. You, you disagree with that? I think he locked out with Steve Cooper. Do you really? Absolutely. Okay, I think they were like hurling pieces of mm-hmm. a puzzle at the board <laughs> and they all fit because Steve Cooper came in. That was like they continue to hurl pieces at the board. I, I th- like fundamentally, mm-hmm. you could throw enough money at something, but I, I, I would be amazed if Forrester, the success that he wants them to be, and you know, he has the money to make them a success. I'm amazed with, with the, the strategy they have that that'll ever happen. No, I, I can quite see that. All I'm saying is. The man has spent his money. Yeah. And if you spend that much money and if you own the football club, then you make the big judgment calls. And then you're judged or otherwise on whether the judgment call is right. Um, so Steve Cooper got them up, but the money helped get them up as well. Um, the money has helped keep them there as well. So I, I don't feel super strongly that this is uh, a, 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 a total injustice. I think Steve Cooper's a very good manager. I think he'll get another job and I think he'll do very well in that job. Johnny, your reaction to both those points? Because I want to ask you about the successor, mm. Nuno, but I, just your reaction first to the points the guys were making. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I'd be more on Gregor's side on this in terms of how much of it was down to Maranakis and how oh, much was down mate, to Steve I'm just Cooper. saying that he spends his money, that's all. Yeah, I like, no, no, I, I like just, owners that spend their money get, and, yeah. and invest in their football club, that's all. I get that. And 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 and, and yes, he was helped by 
by some of the players signed did turn out to be pretty good. Morgan Gibbs White, you know, they could Forrest couldn't have bought that bef- that type of player mm. at that level before Maranakis's money. But the, the 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 thing for me was having somehow got them up, and then some. I think last season was an incredible achievement by Steve Cooper to keep keep Forrest in the league with the start they had because mm. of the influx of thirty three players and, and what that does culturally to a place it just rips everything up. And he somehow managed to make sense of it and keep them up and keep the place as happy as it was. And. I think he earned the right to manage this season as as more more to how his vision, I guess, and instead of which he gets another thirteen players foisted on him, and and that's made it impossible from from the start. And Forest aren't a bad team; they're not far away. They've never been far away. It's not like I, I don't. You can see the players are still responding to him, uh, and I don't think their chances of staying up have been enhanced by getting rid of him. Interesting to think then talking about big squads and lots of players because I want to read an excerpt from an interview that you did, Johnny, with Nuno Espirito Santo when he was at Wolves back mm. in February 2020 for the Sunday Times. Absolutely fascinating interview and a typically eloquent intro from you, but I'm going to skip further down to a paragraph that reads, and what a job he's doing. Last 16 of the Europa League, contending for the Premier League top four, last season seventh and FA Cup semi-finalist. His Wolves are so reliably good, people forget they finished 15th in the Championship before he arrived. Questions about his next opponent, Jose Mourinho, bore him, but Nuno's belief small squads, close player relationships coaching the fine details were undoubtedly influenced by being number two keeper for Mourinho's all-conquering Porto and this is interesting isn't it yeah. about his successor because and he himself spoke about it in his press conference at Forest yesterday Tottenham slightly scarred me etc etc you know I, I'm going to be the Wolves version of Nuno that's what I'm going to bring to Nottingham Forest give us your kind of reaction to well, that having done that interview and tell us a bit more about the man when you met him well this is a it's all about fitting coaches to the right job, and clearly Tottenham was a disastrous fit for a, a, a person like Nuno. Um, and when I did that interview, which was I think February 2020, that was the peak. That was peak Nuno, and and you know it's, it's easy to forget they were competing for the top four at that point. They were in, they were in they were competing for the Europa League, and and he'd, he'd brought them up from the the Championship. But I found it fascinating. And then it went into lockdown. And then it went into lockdown, yeah. And and who knows, they were, they were in such sure a great if, moment, if weren't they? If you carry on that rhythm. Yeah. yeah. But he, as he as he said in that, as touched on in that interview, he he was quite unlike, I think, most football managers, if, if not any football manager I've, I've, I've met. Very introverted, probably very, very deep, very guarded. It took, I mean, I actually did the interview with, with another two journalists and it took us, you know that bit at the start of an interview when you're trying to, Warm up the subject and and find out what the what what's what's going to get this person engaged mm. and interested. What, where can we go with this? And usually it takes a few questions, but with him it took twenty minutes. And it was there was a point in in, in the process we thought this is it just isn't going to work. He he just we didn't want to talk. And then he did st- he came alive when we started talking to him about his background and coming from a small African island, Principe, if that's how you pronounce it, and his childhood on the beach and blah, blah, blah. And that led to a discussion about simplicity. And what this guy likes, he's, he's kind of monkish in his outlook, is quietness, order, simplicity. Um, in football, he likes a really small squad. He said clubs make mistakes by having 25-man squads. They should have 18-man squads. He explained the rationale behind that. He said because when you've got a 25-man squad, that means that half of them aren't playing every week, and that means that culturally it's difficult to keep those guys on board. Jeez. Training becomes unwieldy because you end up with half the players need to 
do recovery work because they've played at the previous game and half of them actually need work in their legs because they haven't played and, and and if you have 18 and they're all playing all the time then you you know from a sports science point of view it works um he talked about disciplining a squad and it was fa- that was a fascinating take that he had on that because he he, he said you yeah, know i don't believe in fining players what does a fine mean to a premier league footballer he said if i if a player's late in in, in my club i will make everybody wait on the training ground mm. You know, I'll wait. Practice will 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 we'll start when that late person gets there. So the player rushes in and sees everyone's waiting for him, and everyone's getting cold and everyone's annoyed, and that's that polices them much better. Mm-hmm. Now, all of that makes perfect sense when you've got an eighteen-man squad. But how on earth does that fit Nottingham Forest? You might as well. You might just as well have said, you know, <laughs> "What I really don't like is teams that play in red." Yeah. <laughs> 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 You know, that's that's what I could never really manage. Any team that plays yeah. in red from Nottingham, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, that there don't, it, like, don't like rivers in their football. Yeah, games. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's bad and, luck. And, and if there's a cricket <laughs> team anywhere in the vicinity, forget it. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing about the thing about Forest is that there is no manager that that marries with their. No, their, no, their no. There's no there's manager no, that, that turns that around and says, "What I want is that, forty players." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and like to constantly have this overbearing ownership, kind of like yeah. saying, "You should have made that sub. You should have, you know, assigned yeah. him. Why are you not playing him? You know, why did Steve you say? Why did you want to sign him? But He's was rubbish." Steve Cooper getting a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. Always. yeah. always. There were things, little things that you've read in you know Charlotte's piece and stuff about like Co- Cooper was this big figure, and he, when he reached a hundred games, there was not a mention about it. No. from yeah. the club because they they didn't think he was doing a good job he no. constantly had that and he when if he signed a player I think it was suggested he wanted to sign Wood and Shelby and they've not worked so he was you know he would go around saying well, I'd say he the club would be kind of I think at one point he said he's a dead man walking in a in a boardroom like there was no mm. there's no hiding this fact mm. so and if you look at his old his other club you think he's he's on the fifth fifth manager in the past 16 months or something like that Olympiacos mm. and it's not just the manager either like so so there's this over, there's churn of players there's a churn of staff he want they, he had a they wanted to sign a set of peace coach mm. this was from the club and they wanted to to to, to employ uh, Giovanni Vio who's been mm. at Spurs and well known he, he said I don't want him so yeah. they, they've signed someone else and I bet this is not you know there's no like no. it was a constant they were at loggerheads mm. so I come back to it. Forest will keep throwing unless he, unless they change, we'll just keep throwing pieces yeah. at the puzzle and hope they and, fit. And, and Greg, I mean, what would, style of play? I'd be interested to get your take on that because it seemed to me that, that that Cooper was given the city ground the kind of football they enjoyed. One of Nuno's issues at Spurs clearly is a very methodical, reactive coach, perhaps counter-attacking coach. You know, it was good to watch Wolves though. They were good to watch at at their peak, weren't they? At they Wolves, were. yeah. When they when they, had, they were kind of really, really sort of searing counter attacking team. Yeah, really. That's what he wants. Obdurate, disciplined, yeah. sort of defensive structure who could spring forward. And Kenny Cooper did did that. He he sort of moved that way to. And that's when they sort of start mm. start to look like they might survive last season. I think he wanted mm. to evolve that, but you know he kept getting thrown more pieces at the puzzle. <laughs> so. I, I don't have a. I don't really have a worry about the football. Actually, I think, I think we, sh- the Spurs thing was a bad fit. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, I'm not saying this is a good fit, but 
having having a sort of a disciplined structure and being exciting when they when they win the ball back and you know in transitions as they call it these days. That's uh, mm. the Forest fans will be up for that. It'll be interesting mm. to see how Nuno Espirito Santo gets on. Nottingham Forest at home on Saturday against Bournemouth and then away at Newcastle, as I mentioned earlier. See if they can get some victories to turn their season around. One team who are definitely excited about the Christmas period is Aston Villa. Uh, they play at home to Sheffield United. Gregor, you've been writing a piece about the idea that they might be top at Christmas. Um, does it matter if they're top at Christmas? No, I mean, we love symbolism, don't we, in the, in the Premier mm. League? And I think, actually... Four, uh, ten of the last fourteen seasons, the team who's finished top have won the Premier League. It's a bit of a moment mm. there, um, but it would it would just underline our, an extraordinary twenty twenty three for Aston Villa. Extraordinary, uh, second best haul of points behind Man City in that that calendar year. So when people talk about uh, the sort of expectation that Villa are going to fall away at some point for a full year, they've been the second best team in the country. And they currently look better than than the best one. <laughs> so, uh, and of all the things we've just spoken about about the, you know, synergy between a uh, manager and and the club and the support structure around them, they're probably not a better example in the in the country either than uh, you could say Man City or have been set up for Pep Guardiola for a long time. But Aston Villa are now set up to make Unai Emery. Uh, Every every wish, every wish mm-hmm. is uh, satisfied, and the structure is in, in place to support him and to be a success. Um, and so I, you know, every t- every time I watch Villa now, I my the idea that they're going to fall away is eroded. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Johnny, do you agree with that? Because, I mean, Martin, you um, were talking a few weeks ago about this period for Villa and I kind of asked, could we even now consider them title contenders? And you said if they get through this Christmas period and they're still in the mix, then, of course, you have to. Um, February, I think. Yeah. yeah. If if they're still around it by February, then you've got to consider Which was the kind of Leicester City turning point, which you said for all you guys. But it's also who will come in and replace them. Yeah. See that that that's the, I think I made the point last week or the week before, and it still stands. If you're talking about them falling away, who who is it that you think is going to come flying into mm. that top four? Because Newcastle can't get it together consistently at the moment. Um, neither can Manchester United. Neither can Tottenham. They're, all the teams outside of it aren't being consistent enough. To push Aston Villa out—that that—that was my point. Yeah, well. absolutely, Johnny. Ju- yeah. To your point, do you think do you think they're kind of in, I, it really in the mix? This I season? think the title contenders. Yeah, I wrote mm. that a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Why wouldn't they be? They've they've sustained this over a year now, more than a year. The fifteen games unbeaten at home, mm. and fifteen consecutive wins. Sorry, fifteen consecutive <laughs> wins. <laughs> wins it's better than that, isn't it? Um, and they've just got this this. Um, He's, he, you know, you, you you know when you see it when a, a coach has got like a club in the palm of his hand. Mm. You know, well, he's uh, another man you've interviewed, of course, yeah. this season, and it was a fascinating interview. And 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 you know, I would say nobody would come second place to Emery for intensity and and ambition and but a charisma about him as well. And that's what really struck me when when we sat down was was you know again it's something you maybe have to feel in the room, but. You just thought, wow, you, you know, you would be inspired by this guy. You'd be slightly fearful, but this was slightly mad about him. But, mm. but all of that, you, you knew he, he had, he had that thing that makes people follow. And, and 
you know, at the weekend, when the opposition go down to 10 men and they're 1-0 behind, you just, just knew what the result would be. Because they're so mentally, he's got them in such a mentally mm, strong, mm. ruthless place. Um, and, uh, and and so it came to pass. And, and Ollie Watkins' reaction to the goal, I mean, look at the fire in Ollie Watkins, the, the guy that you've looked <laughs> at for years. He does look different, doesn't he? He's like yeah. a bit, bit mm. more swagger. Yeah. He's just cockiness he's, almost. He's got not cockiness, quite, yeah. but he's got, he's got that in the more, hasn't he now? Yeah, and I think as well with with Emery that that, that what happened um, at Arsenal, it's as if he's come back into English football and he thinks to himself, right, I'm not going to make that that mistake again. I'm not going to be have things just foisted upon me. Um, the point you were making about Nottingham Forest, and I'm not saying how much power uh, a manager has to resist that sometimes, but you know when, when it's so extreme as, uh, as it clearly is at uh, Forest. But that you know he, when he left Arsenal, he, he gave that press conference in which he said about all oh, that I wanted this and I got that and and we wanted this and we got there. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's almost as if he's come back into English football. He's come to Villa and he's thought, right, that isn't happening again this time. I'm going to ask mm. for what I want. I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to insist on what I want. And they've and they've given it to him. Mm-hmm. They've given it to him. Mm. It's interesting talking about smarter than Arsenal. getting what he wants and asking for it. Um, Gregor, Chris, who's an Aston Villa fan, who's obviously very excited and a listener of the show, wanted me to ask you about Pau Torres uh, a signing in mm. the summer for a reported £31.5 million, a lot of money, but actually in the modern, modern game, probably not that much money. 26, looks an incredibly classy player. He's a very good signing, isn't he, for them this season? Yeah. You're not as impressed. No, I'm not. No. Not as impressed as Chris. Look, he's he's he offers a great balance because he's you know left sided as you say, and um, a big part of Villa's game is is particularly when they have the ball in their own half or they're building from the back is is being patient, but then playing really sort of mm. incisive passes through the centre of the pitch, and he's great at that. He's. I think he's looked a little bit suspect at times defensively, but he's playing. He's playing, you know, as part of a a back line that a lot of the time as well is is kind of doing, makes you a bit jittery. He's playing this brilliantly sort of well drilled high line, and he's, he's no. There's been no issues with that. So, um, but he has been. You no, know, look, he has been a good signing. But I, I actually think out of all the, you know, I was looking for this piece, looking at the squad, and again, people are saying oh, the squad's going to be thin. I don't see it. Mm. The only place I see. A, a kind of step down in quality is is in centre centre defence, um, where you're talking about Callum Chambers, uh, Clement Longley, who was at Spurs and last year is on loan from Barcelona. Um, Diego Carlos has kind of come back into the team here. I think he snapped his Achilles in his first game when he's just after he signed mm. Steven Gerrard signed him. Um, Ezri Conte has been outstanding. But that's the only place. But because they have such a good structure, it almost it could make up. You know, it could kind of make up for that. So Diaby's been the the, mm. the biggest signing, and you know, he's only signed seven players since he since he arrived at Emery. This is really about making what he had before better. Mm. And of those seven players, really, you can only say Diaby, Torres, have had a real impact, and Tielemans is starting to. Mm-hmm. But the rest of them really have been about. Making the squad fit for competing in Europe on a Thursday and and competing in the Premier League. Yeah, well, you can read Gregor's piece on how Aston Villa have done this, got to the point of being title contenders on the Times website. Now, chaps, we're going to finish with your Christmas wishes. What you want for the new year and what you want for twenty twenty four. 
Who should I start with? We've got some grimacing, we've got some head shaking. Mm. Who, no one wants to go first. Martin. <laughs> what, are you, what, what are you asking the footballing gods for for, for 2024? Uh, someone other than Manchester City to win the league. Great. Um, not because I've got anything uh, against Manchester City, but I I think three is enough. I, I rather like the fact that, that no one has ever won uh, our league more than three years on the spin. And I, I'm sort of almost slightly worried when someone wins it four times even though I think that the Man City domination thing ends with Pep Guardiola whenever Pep decides to stand down they just become another elite football club and it will get considerably harder for them having said this I would rather it it sticks at three any preference on who no, none at all. No, no, no. Aston Villa. Yeah. All right. If I had to, if I had to name one, yeah. I'll, I'll name the, the 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 one that is has won it least. Basically, Aston Villa. Um, and then you know, basically, you can go through the rest of them in the order of how recently they won the league in terms of how much I would like. I just want to see. John Peel always said uh, when people said to John Peel about what what do you want for music, what do you want. He just said, I just want to, I just want to hear something I've never heard before. And that's how I feel about football. I want to see something I've never seen before. The greatest thing I ever saw was Leicester win the league. You know, because I never thought I'd see that. Um, never seen it before. Never thought I would see anything like that ever again, really, in, in, in football. And that remains the, the greatest thing I've ever seen in football. And so, yeah, I'd like to see Aston Villa win the league. Um, but not Manchester City and to any Manchester City fans that are listening it's not because I, I don't like Manchester City it is simply because I quite threes plenty yeah Johnny yeah well I love that thought um, I might be cutting Gregor's grass here a little bit because he might have similar um, there's a wish, Scottish wish scowl across the studio but it's, a, it's an obvious one it's you know I've been waiting my whole life and we all have for, for this but it's just get out of the group stage at the Euros I mean that would just be, <laughs> that, that, that would just be amazing, um, and I think Scotland have got a really good chance of doing it. I love the draw; it couldn't be better. Uh, you know, sort of fragile Germany up against uh, the ruthlessness of Steve Clark and Scott McTominay and John McGinn, um, and uh, you know we've got a, we've got hungry, hungry, tough, but not not unbeatable. Switzerland, good record against them. Quite fancy it. Excellent, exciting. Gregor, you're going to have to come up with a new one. I've got two. Great, that's all right then. John McGinn, named Player of the Year. <laughs> For his bum. Absolutely. Uh, and actually, I think for the Premier League not to be awarded a fifth Champions League spot. I like it. Because the, the idea of seven teams, there are now seven teams going at it for four places, feels more exciting to me than going at it for five. Yeah. Yeah. And... It is. It's fascinating now how many teams are going to miss out on Champions League qualification, who every year will start the season expecting it. Mm. <laughs> and as I say, I think the competition would be enhanced by not having the fifth spot. Nice. Once you throw a random into it as well, like Aston Villa are oh, this season, because if if you think about it, that that you know pushes it down. That makes it an eight almost, if you know what I mean, because Chelsea aren't even, you're not even thinking of Chelsea mm-hmm. in contention yeah, right. at the moment. Yeah, you think of Chelsea. You know, because Aston, <laughs> <laughs> no, because Aston Villa have replaced Chelsea. But Villa are one of the teams now yeah. who yeah. will expect it, because they have the back in, they have the manager of, of the, mm. the right standing, you know, and 
you know that, that's what they see their future as very good bringing it back to the topic at the top of the show well I hope you all get what you want in 2024 all I want is more educated football debate with you lot uh, Martin, Johnny and Gregor thank you very much for joining me remember we've only got one more show this year which will be out on Wednesday the 27th until then have a great Christmas enjoying all the festive football on offer thanks for listening When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.